Alrighty, we wanted to talk about some myths. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're here to bust myths about the property market or about property in general. The first one we we're going to chat about is a big myth. When people in the media say the Australian property market is crashing, as if the market is one whole rather than you know many many segments split up across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's eight capital cities and there's you know, hundreds of towns and regional centres and all of them have different uh, economic factors, uh, locational factors, environmental factors, socioeconomic factors that influence how that market performs day to day and they all sort of differ. So that's the first myth, I guess, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Terry Ryder from Hotspotting, he's, he's one of his favourite things, saying there's not one Australian property market um, as Damo mentioned, there's eight capital cities. There's about 200 towns around the country that have more than 10,000 people. There's something like 11,452 suburbs in the country, and all of them may operate differently. Yeah, there could be an area. Like it could be. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff at the moment saying, oh, the Sydney property market's dropped X percent. Brisbane's dropped X percent. Um, two years ago or a year and a half ago, it was, you know, this Sydney's going up this percent and Melbourne's going up this percent, as if every area was the same. Um, some classic examples. Um, in Newcastle a couple of years ago, one of the schools in an area changed its zoning. Now, some of the people who were impacted by that actually sold their houses and moved so that they could keep their kids in the school that they were zoned in or to make sure that their future kids could get to go to that school. So there's lots of things in some of the suburbs in Melbourne where there's really good schools, and I'm not saying schools are the be-all and end-all, um, that can drive property growth. Um, uh, Investor Kit, one of the you know people we recommend people talk to if you're looking at um, buying investment property, released a report about which areas were going to um, be the most um, beneficiaries of the renewables boom. So there's lots of wind farms, solar farms being um, looked at around the country and some of those areas will boom because of that because you need people to build these things and then you need people to run them and you might have um, <clears throat> say the Coffs Harbour Bypass um, the Gold Coast especially you know, from we went to the Gold Coast and it is now it's probably about a 9 hour drive from Sydney now it used to be 13 hours so it's easy to get to you can fly in there there might be an airport upgrade um, Two years ago, they started flying from Melbourne to Bustleton. So you could actually buy a uh, holiday home or a place in Bustleton, and during COVID, you could actually work from Bustleton. So there's lots of things that impact property prices, and, yeah, just don't just don't get fooled into thinking there's one market. Yeah, there's, there's, I remember talking to a buyer's agent who was telling me about a, an area that I now know quite a bit about, which is Belrive in Tasmania, because we've got quite a few clients there. Um, yeah, on one side of a roundabout, it's a lot cheaper than the other side. So someone who is unfamiliar with that might think, wow, I've scored a bargain. But there's a reason why it's cheaper, because it takes longer to get to work. Because that roundabout gets choppers. And if you've got to go right around the roundabout, you can spend 20 minutes longer getting to work. Mm. 
So it's just, yeah, so there's no one Australian property market. They all operate. They use the same sort of principles of supply and demand, but there's just because um, if you hear um, that Sydney market's going up 10%, the area you, you're buying in may not be. So just don't be fooled into that. Mm. Shopping without a pre-approval is totally fine is sort of another thing that people might fall into the trap of where they might start shopping around at houses when they don't, they're either not pre-approved or they don't even have an idea of what their borrowing capacity is of what they have to work with. So why is that a bad idea? Yeah, look, put yourself in the, so imagine you're the seller of a property and you've engaged a real estate agent and they've got an open home or they've put online that the property's available. And then you as a buyer are ringing up to inquire about that property but you don't have your finance sorted. Now, a finance pre-approval is gonna take at least a week, maybe longer. So if there's you and another buyer looking at buying a property and they have finance approved and you don't, and all they need is the bank to do evaluation if the bank wants to, they their offer is stronger than yours and we've had clients who've missed out on properties even though they've offered more money because they didn't have a finance approval so you're always better off making sure you have a finance approval in place um, you might offer on a property and then as part of the finance process it might come back that you've got issues on your credit report and it may not be something you've done it might be ID fraud, or it might be something that you inherited from another partner when you had loans previously, or you might have a joint debt with someone that you used to go out with or used to be married to, and they're not paying the debt, and you thought they were. So mm. there's lots of reasons. So you need to have a valid pre-approval um, just to make it easy for yourself. It's too stressful without it, and you'll often lose properties that you're very, very keen on. Another myth is, this idea maybe that you want to avoid LMI at all costs, lenders mortgage insurance, and that it's wasted money. There's obviously pros and cons to a lot of things in life, so it's not as nuanced or black. It's more nuanced than just something's good or something's bad. But mm -hmm. LMI isn't always wasted money for people. Can you sort of explain why that might be the case? Yeah, so if you borrow more than 80% of the value of a property, you may have to pay lenders mortgage insurance. Now, how it works is that the banks offer money and they look at the risk of that money. Now, if you've only got a 5% deposit and the bank's putting in 95%, they say, okay, we're taking fair risk here because you've got 5% you've got skin in the game, we've got 95% skin in the game. Now, you're riskier to, to the bank than someone who's got a 20% deposit where you've got 20% in and the bank's got 80% in. So how the banks manage that is they come up with a thing called mortgage insurance, where you pay an insurance premium to protect the bank. So it doesn't protect you, it protects the bank. You might say, I don't wanna do that, I'm gonna wait till I can save 20%, but it might take you a couple of years by which time the property you liked that was 500 grand might now be 600 grand. So not only have you had to save the percentage, you then have to save the extra 100 grand that you missed out on in capital growth. So mortgage insurance is a useful tool. Um, it's worth looking at, um, talking to your broker about or your bank about. Some lenders offer waivers 
for people that have only a 10% deposit. So if you're a um, engineer, accountant, legal professional, um, most medical, like doctors, specialists, some banks do it for nurses and midwives now, essential employees who basically can't lose their job and have good good um, long-term career prospects. So if you've got, if you want to buy a house for 500 grand and you have um, a hundred grand deposit, you can use a hundred grand in your loan application to get no LMI. But if you wanted to get two properties, you could use 10% in each, pay the mortgage insurance, and then you've got two properties growing for you. So it's not, yeah, LMI is not a dirty word. Um, it's not necessarily, it's not for everybody, but it's useful to know about it and to talk to your broker or bank about whether it's good for your situation. A fourth myth we're going to cover is it's not worth sucking up to your parents. Yeah, cool. So look, one I always say to, say to some people, um, especially first home buyers, that if your parents can help you get into the property market, it's usually better than if they can't or won't. Now, some parents can't, some parents won't, but if your parents can, um, it's useful having the discussion. Now, if um, if your parents have been in their house for 10, 20 years, there's probably enough equity in that property for us to use some of that equity as a substitute for a deposit. And it's called a guarantee, uh, a limited guarantee. The other option is if parents are in a position to gift you money. So it might be an advanced inheritance, um, or just just a gift because you know they have some spare cash. So um, it's always worth talking to your parents about how about whether they are available to help. Some can't because of um, you know, circumstances. Some may not want to because of, of other other circumstances. But it, it is definitely worth having the chat with your parents about what they might be able to do. Some banks will also let. Um, richer siblings help you out so if you're you know the youngest in the family and one of your older siblings has equity in their property um, some banks will let you do that as well so best to talk to um, talk to a broker in that situation because a broker will have a lot more options um, from lenders who yeah may be able to help you mm. Banks have your best interest in mind always. That's yeah, so look, with, with this one, a couple of years ago after the Banking Royal Commission, um, there was a new thing that came in called best interest duty. Now, it applies to brokers. So brokers have to have your best interest in mind when recommending a loan product. Um, previous to that, most brokers did because that's how they maintain the... Um, viability of their business by looking after people but obviously some brokers didn't you know they put people into loans that weren't suitable and were more for the broker's benefit than they were for the client's benefit so your broker has to have has to meet its bid or best interest duty obligations whereas your bank if you go to a bank they've basically got a couple of options for you they've got a fixed rate loan a basic variable loan or a variable offset loan and that's it whereas with a broker they'll have those three loan products and probably more from 10 20 30 loan providers and they can say well okay if you go direct to your bank you'll get this interest rate 
Whereas if you go to this bank, you might get a better interest rate. So yeah, brokers have your best interest in mind. Yeah, banks wanna keep you as a customer, but as we've talked about quite often with the loyalty tax, once you're a customer, you got to you got to question whether they have your best interest in mind because you know why do they give such big discounts to new customers but not look after their existing ones so pretty obvious another is uh this thing about offset accounts so offset accounts have almost become like a buzzword in in banking sector in the banking industry or just like when people think about investing they might hear offset accounts being a really great option for everybody in every situation and we chatted about this on a podcast recently where uh there's a myth that it's always best to get an offset account and you know, we've talked about what an offset account is, but if you if you're new to the show and you're unaware, an offset account acts sort of like a savings account where it's linked to your home loan, and whatever balance is in that offset, it it in the you know to use the the term actually like it offsets the balance on your loan, so you're paying interest on the total of that rather than the total owing. So if you have five hundred grand owing on a loan, but you have twenty grand sitting in your offset account, you're paying interest based on four hundred eighty grand, mm-hmm. not on five hundred. But it's not all rainbows with an offset account. Often they're part of a a home loan package where you might have a credit card that you get with the account, you might have a savings account, and you'll have a bunch of annual fees that are usually related to having this offset account and running this offset account. Um, And the pros don't always outweigh the cons when it comes to the cost of having an offset account if you don't have a ton of money in that account as it is. is there anything else on that that people yeah, should consider? Yeah, it's just one of those things that you know you'll you'll read stuff about you know being the paper. There'll be you know most times on the weekend of the paper they'll have financial tips and all that sort of stuff, and you know they basically you know get an offset account. Now it's definitely worth considering, but you've got to work out if it's right for you because if you don't have a lot of spare cash, um, the cost of the offset account may outweigh any benefit. So you might be better with just a variable, a basic loan with no fees that you can pay extra into and get money out of. So yeah, just, it's not always best to get an offset account, but it's something you know, when you're proactively looking at your finances, which we encourage everybody to do, um, it's just something you can you can look at. The next one we've got, we've got a few more to go. Uh, your credit report doesn't matter. Why is that a myth? So when banks, you know, most of the time, if you're going to a new lender, they don't know you from a bar of soap. So they'll rely on source documents to determine whether you're a risk that they want to take on. Now, the first thing banks will look at is your credit report. So any person we talk to about um, a loan application, we give them a link to my free credit file, which is an Equifax free credit report you can get that one or two times a year for free and if you don't if you've never looked at your credit report or don't know what your credit score is we'd encourage you to do that today um, with ID fraud you know with all this stuff happening with Optus and Medibank and this sort of stuff you really need to be on top of your credit report to make sure there's nothing untoward going on that you don't know about um, the credit report 
sort of gives a bit of a background of your relationship with credit. So if you've not paid bills, it's likely to be on your credit report. Mm. And you just need to make sure you pay your bills on time, that if you can't pay them, that you're proactively contacting the person or the organisation you owe money to. Because the last thing you want for you know not paying a $500 credit card bill is being charged an extra 1% or 2% interest on a $500,000 home loan, which could cost you five to 10 grand a year. So you really need, your credit report does matter. Um, it's worthwhile checking my free credit file um, and just getting a copy of yours. And if there's anything on there that's, that's wrong or weird, get in contact with um, whoever you got it from and asking them to change it. And that'll take a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Another was, uh... It doesn't matter why vendors are selling and vendor is a industry buzzword for someone who's selling a property. Mm-hmm. So when you hear vendor, just know that that's just a word yep. that people in the industry use. Um, why is it a myth that it doesn't matter why vendors are selling? Yeah, so one of the things we talk to, to people about is when you're looking to buy a property, try and find out why the vendor's selling. Because you want to... You mold your offer to make it as attractive as possible and you may find that the house is empty because the families had to put um, the mum and dad or the grandparents into a nursing home and they want a quick sale because they need the cash for the, the refundable deposit for the nursing home. You might find the people are still living in the house, um, they want to sell but they'd like a long settlement because they then want to go buy a house elsewhere. They may want a long settlement because they want to lock in a price, but they may be building elsewhere. So there's lots of reasons why people sell houses. Um, and if you can find out from the agent why the vendors are selling, what their time frame is, you know, what you can do to make your offer more attractive, um, you're going to have a greater chance of success, which is what you're after. Um, so yeah, if the you know, the more you can find out about why the vendors are selling, it's it's better for you. Mm. Pest and build reports is another one, and depending on the, there are some states where if I'm trying to buy a house, by law the seller of the house has to provide a pest and build for me. But mm-hmm. one of these myths is I don't need a pest and build report before I consider buying a house. Um, just speaking from experience, I just bought my first place and we got a pest and build done uh, before we, you know, um, committed to, before I committed to buying the place and it came back that there were issues with the shower. Um, If I hadn't known that there were issues with that before I bought it, I might have bought the place, found out there were issues and then had to spend a lot of money out of pocket to fix that. But in, in... in reality, I was able to negotiate a bit of a, a, a reduction in the price of the home purchase, so then I'm not going to be losing as much money once I have to get this done. Um, pest and build reports, uh, as in terms of as brokers and what we do with our clients, we always ne- like tell them, if you're going to buy a house, get a pest and build before you make any offer in writing, or if you do make an offer subject to a pest and build report just to cover your own ass. Yeah. You've just got to make sure you're not buying something that's got heaps of issues that the real estate agent didn't tell you about or the seller of the house hid because 
they're not interested in selling you they they're interested in selling their house for the best money possible they're not interested in doing right by you they're doing the right the best by themselves so it's just it's important to get a pest and build report to cover your own ass yeah and look there, there might be some things in the house that the seller doesn't know about so there might be a, you know a leak there might be some movement of the footings there could be some termite damage um, the, you know, there could be wa- uh, water leaking behind the bathroom taps. You know, there's there's plenty of things. But you're better off if you make an offer on a property, um, make it subject to valuation, um, formal finance approval, and pest and build report. Because you know we've we've had clients who have have offered to buy properties. You know, that might have been three fifty to five hundred grand, sometimes a million. Um, you get the pest and build report, which cost them five hundred bucks, and it's come back saying, yeah, you know, there's all these issues. So we've had some clients that have been able to use the pest and build report to reduce the, you know, to have a settlement condition that there's a reduction in the price. Um, if you're going to auction, you've you need a pest and build before you attend the auction. Um, you might find that the vendor has provided one. My advice is always to get your own one if you can. Um, don't particularly rely on the one that's been provided by the vendor. And the other thing that pest and builds can pick up, which you know conveyances normally pick up as well, is any improvements that don't have council approval or aren't to code. So you might have someone who, you know, after after three beers and watching half half an episode of the block, decides that they're a renovation expert and that they might do a home handy person renovation um, they might um, you know enclose a garage or they might do something to a bathroom and it's not to code it hasn't been done properly so you need to know about that easy um, last one is the myth that all landlords are scum mm-hmm. and they're terrible people uh, and they're just out for themselves which is sort of true, some of that. But, um, yeah, that they just, you know, they hate young people. and Yeah, look, that, that's, that's not right. Um, you know, they're, they're, there are bad landlords because, you, you know, you hear about them, but there's also bad tenants. You know, there's some people that don't look after the rental properties that they're in. Um, you know, they're not paying for it. They don't care. Yeah, like, it, it's a myth. Most, most landlords um, are good people. Um, most tenants are good people. So, yeah, don't be sort of suckered into all the stuff. Like, if you want to ha- let negative stuff fuel your life, there's plenty of it available. You can spend all your time, you know, reading negative shit, um, letting it bring you down, um, giving you a view on life, or you can you can look at things in a positive light and go, well, look, bad shit does happen but a lot of good shit does happen so i'm going to focus on the good so it's really you know you, ch- you choose your own attitude and um yeah like we always say if you need help with property finance like we can't really help you on the property side we can tell you what we think and say what our experience is but we'll um we'll always recommend you talk to experts but when it comes to you know, finance, either existing or in the future, or what your options are, we're happy to have a happy to have a chat, and mm. it's free. And if we're in the area, we'll even buy a cup of coffee. Yeah, 100%. If, you, if you drink coffee, we'll be back in a week or two with another ten 
myths about property to cover and or at least at least just chatting them through yeah because you know there's not not everything you read is is right not everything you hear on you know social media or that sort of stuff is right you gotta you gotta challenge things and then work out okay if they are right what does it mean to me and what how does that mean i chart my way through the environment rather than well that doesn't suit me um nobody loves me everyone hates me i think i'm going to eat worms beautiful so Anyway, moneysaverhomeloans.com.au is our website if you want to learn more about the broking side of things. We have a Facebook page, Money Saver Home Loans, and there's some Instagram handles for the podcast and for our, uh, our brokerage in the description box below for the podcast. Share this around with people that you think might find it uh, informative, and we'll see you next time.